go from one asset, they'll deploy it into a couple more and there'll be 30, 40, 50 grand left over and they take that and make it taxable. So it's not an all or nothing proposition. You can do a partially deferred exchange, get a better return, boost your cash flow, boost your number of assets and even pull some cash out. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high octane boost of full on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here, Heather Marchant with me. We got hey, another really, everyone. really good, timely show today for everybody. Market's still going crazy. Happy New Year to everybody. Yes, can't even believe it. Feels like yesterday we started 2021. And at the same time, I feel every day of that year at the same time. <laughs> if that's possible. Yeah, it was a fast year and some parts of it were really slow. So yes. at the same time. So 2022 is going to be really, really good. We'll do some uh, market forecast stuff here coming up soon. But yeah. um, for today, we have something that's really important. And we've kind of talked around it several different times and we've thrown it out there a bunch the 1031s, Heather, we're going to dive into that today. Yes. And we, we have somebody who has have way more. To give us meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have someone way more knowledgeable than Heather and I with yes. us today. That's right. I just barely completed my first 1031 exchange. So hardly an expert on the topic. I have walked lots of clients through it, but had never done it myself. Just completed one the last day of December. So be proud of me, Scott. So Scott Saunders is joining us. He's a client of mine. And I've known that he is in the asset preservation field and in handling 1031 exchanges. He's the senior vice president with Asset Preservation Inc. So every time Scott's always good to share information and knowledge. And that's been one of the things I love about working with you, Scott. So welcome to the show. Yeah, oh, Heather and Ron, great to be with you guys. And, you know, fun topic. I mean, the market's great. And if we can talk about ways to defer taxes and get better returns, everybody wins who's in real estate doing that. So it's great That's to right. be with you guys. Awesome. Thank you. And so glad that we scheduled this. Ironically, we've been wanting to have a podcast on this topic. Ron and I had talked about it several times. We really need to do that. And it was like this perfect synergy of minds. You said, hey, guys, what if we did a podcast on 1031 exchanges? So it was just the right timing. So glad that it worked out to have you on. We've had a lot of questions that clients have been asking. Sometimes they're super detailed and specific for the investor such that it's really a one-off conversation, but there's a need, I think, for some general understanding. And I think it's come about with the crazy market that we've been in. Like everybody has equity. <laughs> if they've had your house longer than a year, oh, you have equity. Yes. <laughs> so trying to figure out what to do with that equity. And for our clients, it's mostly in rental properties, of course, in their primary residence. But the questions we're getting are more about what to do with the equity I have in my rentals. So I know you own rentals. So uh -huh. subject you're very familiar with. <laughs> I'm on both sides. So I'm, you know, I've been in the 1031 space since 1988. So a long time. Oh, wow. And you know, I'm in that niche of doing that. And then you're right. I, I've worked with you, bought a property through you and I've got other assets out there. So I'm kind of on both sides. Yeah. I get it as an investor and then also professionally in the 1031 space. So yeah, that's awesome. So can you tell us what is a 1031 tax deferred exchange? Yeah, general? yeah, it all stems back. The name 1031 exchange goes back to section 
1031 of the tax code. So believe it or not, 1031s have been in the tax code now for 101 years. So for a long time, we got back there in 1921 is when it started. So what what it allows, and if, if I were to give you kind of a really simple illustration, Heather, if you do a taxable sale, I give up a property and I get back cash. That's a taxable sale. Yeah. In a 1031, I give up a property held for investment. And then I receive back what we call another like kind property also held for investment. So sale, property for cash, exchange, give up property, get property back. That's what it is quite simply. Now there are some time deadlines and rules and processes, yeah. but if you get just to the simplicity of it, that's really what an exchange is at the very basic level. Has it changed much since it was first implemented that long ago? You know, great question. It actually started out for rural America. So people would be, a, let's say, a farmer and you got a wheat farm and a corn farm, and they'd basically just kind of swap parcels with one another. Oh. So a lot of them originally were swaps, predominantly in rural America, farms, ranches, could be businesses. As times evolved, it's become very popular, both with residential, single family residential and commercial. So Throughout history, we kind of had people swapping properties. And then back in 1979, we had a really important tax court decision called the Starker case. So some people might even hear it called a a Starker exchange or doing a Starker. That was the first what we have called delayed exchange, where you sell and now you don't have to do a simultaneous exchange. You can separate it by a period of time. So that came about with just one taxpayer that really read the code. And he said, hey, there's nothing that requires it to be simultaneous. And they duked it out in tax court. He won. And he that one individual really opened up what we now call delayed or deferred exchanges for the entire country. So it's uh, that was a big change. I do remember that from my real estate licensing courses that it used to be you had to have a simultaneous close. Really interesting. I think I think that history helps us get a better picture as to what it's for. I think that helps paint a picture for investors who are really new to the concept. If you're swapping out, not having to pay taxes on the money that changes hands in the middle. So, Absolutely. And keep in mind, when you say not paying taxes, there's a common kind of a misnomer, which sometimes you hear called a tax-free exchange. You're really just Mm. deferring the taxes. So when you do an exchange, that capital gain tax liability at It follows you and we can talk about that, but it's not really tax free. It's really tax deferred. So the basis, what we call your net adjusted basis in the property you give up, that gets rolled into the net adjusted basis of the replacement property. So um, it's tax deferral. Now, here's the flip side, Heather. Here's the cool thing. People like you and I and Ron, right? We exchange over and over and over, right? I'll probably never sell or maybe won't sell very much. I'll just exchange and keep redeploying and redeploying over and over. And maybe you go from single family to duplexes, fourplexes, get into apartment, maybe commercial. So you might change the nature of the investment a little bit, but you just keep exchanging over and over. So, and by the way, that's what the code allows. As long as you're not getting cash, you just get property. There's really no reason to recognize a taxable event until you actually get cash back in your pocket. Yeah. So Ron, I was going to ask you about yours. Well, I was just going to say, that's one of the things that, you know, people really have a question about is, can I take a single family home and, and, and exchange it for an apartment building or something else? And, and the answer is of course, yes, of course you can. It's real estate for real estate, right? Yeah. Sorry, Heather. 
were you going to ask? No, I'm sorry. That was one of our worst blunders we've had in talking over each other. So do you, did you use this back in the day in Kansas City, rehabbing your flip, flips and stuff you were doing? Did you have to utilize a 1031 exchange? No, because I was, you know, I was flipping property. So that, that doesn't lend uh-huh. itself very well to 1031 exchanges. Oh, cause you were, cause you were owning them. So I guess it didn't matter. Okay. We just, okay. we just, yeah, it was like our inventory. We were just selling, selling, selling all the yeah. time. So. Hey, hey, Ron, let me, let me kind of piggyback on what you're saying there. That's a, a really good distinction. So you can do an exchange on any property that you hold for investment. So that's typically going to be rented out unless it's a piece of raw land. That's different than if you hold property for sale, right? Flipping. So if I buy one, I want to flip it, sell it off. You might make a profit on it, but the intent is to hold it for sale purposes. So you can't do a 1031 exchange on flip property. Anything that's held for sale purposes is excluded. So it's got to be held for investment, which is generally going to be rental income, right? Long-term rental income. That's an important distinction there. Yeah, very good. I'm glad glad my question prompted that because I didn't know that. So can you tell us the top mistakes that you see people make with 1031 exchanges? And right now it's probably a little different than it was a year ago. <laughs> you know what? It's really changed. If you look at where we're at now at the beginning of 2022, very different than a couple of years back where it was a little bit more of a balanced market. Now we've got low inventory properties. If you price it right, they'll sell quickly. And then when you want to buy your new exchange, you know, buy your replacement property, you've got to line that up pretty quickly. Mistakes people make, number one, in today's market would be if you wait to the last minute, it's getting tougher to set up an exchange right before closing. A couple of years back, we could set it up the day of closing. We're just, it's very busy like everybody else in the marketplace right now. It's tough. So most companies are going to need a little bit of lead time, a few days. I can't tell you how many phone calls I took in December where people were closing end of the year, (laughs) didn't do it. And I said, say, I'm sorry, we can't help you. You know, I'm sorry you waited too late. So that's number one is just plan it out a little bit, get the exchange documents in place prior to closing. Don't wait till the last minute. The other one, Heather, you see this all the time, is just the market. Don't think that, okay, I just sold a property. Now I closed, I've got this time period. So we haven't talked about it, but you've got 45 days from when you close to identify property. And you can identify one under different rules. You can identify multiple properties. Then you've got 135 days after that to close on it. But to answer your question, it's that identification period right now where it's challenging. So I would say people should reach out to you and whoever their contact is at RP Capital and say, look, I'm think of selling a property with about this much gain in equity. What do you have coming down the pipeline? I don't know what you have in terms of control. You probably have a feel for what's coming up, but I think reaching out to you in advance, it would be really important to say, what could I exchange into? So you know that there's some property there. There's nothing worse than making a lot of money, profit, setting up an exchange, and then all of a sudden you go, "Uh uh-oh, now what am I going to get into? And that stress, you can avoid it a lot of times by just planning it out a little bit in advance. Yeah, that's yeah, and, a really good. And one. I think the other thing too, Heather, is helping us understand like really how much money is coming. Because it's in part of the planning, it's not enough to know that I've got a 1031 exchange coming and I'm looking for a property. We need to know how much money is coming. 
because it could completely shift, like you were talking about earlier, Scott, it can completely shift the type of property that we start looking for, right? Because if you've got a large 1031 exchange, trying to deploy that into single family homes is going to be really tricky. We need to start looking at commercial property because otherwise it's going to be, it just compounds the complexity of something that's already going to be really difficult in our market to your point, Scott. Yeah. Um, you reminded lead me of- time. We need to know all the details and really where you are in the process. I all the time have people that don't tell me what name the name is significant on the relinquished property and the replacement property. They need to be the same. And I just had one recently. I would have probably sold a different property because he needed to buy in his personal name, move it into his LLC. And in that state, they have high transfer taxes. And I didn't know he was his relinquished property was in an LLC till after he had picked and chosen the property. So it's it's still doable and everything, but it's uh, it can cause you to have to pivot and maybe lose a deal. So yeah, that's a great point you bring up that the tax owner that gives up a property has to be the same tax owner that buys a replacement property. So you could sell as a single person and buy in a single member disregarded LLC. But where things get trickier, and I'm sure you see this, you got husbands and wives, right? So sometimes yeah. people come in with assets. And so they're married today, but their assets have been separate, but maybe they want the financing on the replacement property. They need the other income. So you want to look at that. A lot of those times we're going to recommend you proceed and just let's say it's the wife's property. She should do the exchange herself, complete it out because she can't just quit claiming at her husband at the very last minute because he didn't hold it for investment, she did. So that's an important one. And um, Ron, you brought up a great point about kind of deal size and kind of knowing, getting the 411. So the two key things to look for, the net equity. So when you sell a property, if you want 100% tax deferral, you've got to reinvest your net equity. So it's not the gross sales price. You can back out the real estate commission, the closing cost, all of that. So it's it's really that net equity. And then the second one is going to be your loan amount, right? The mortgage payoff. So reinvest net equity and have the same or greater amount of debt. And sometimes to get into your question a little early about pitfalls, people always kind of intuitively know, I've got to redeploy the cash, right? Or I'll pay taxes on it. But they forget about the fact that maybe they've got a $200,000 mortgage liability. Yeah. They need to put that in. Now they can put that on one property. They can put it on several, but they sometimes forget that they they have both of those components to keep in mind. Yeah. There are a lot of those little small rules that I feel like even though I help so many people, I'm always calling someone like yourself to say, Hey, just verify that this is going to work. Right? (laughs) Like, I don't want to find out at the 11th hour that this plan isn't going to (laughs) work. Yeah. No, you're right. There are a whole bunch of little, I think the way you said it's small rules, just little uh, idiosyncrasies that when you deal with it day in and day out, you kind of know it on autopilot. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with the real estate transaction, but not always exchanges, you might have kind of the broad picture, but sometimes some of those details can make a big difference. And then, you know, the other thing is super important have your client pull in their tax advisor, right? Mm -hmm. You're there providing product, So you've got the product side of it, but you want to make sure that their tax advisor is involved. Sometimes people do want to take some money out, right? They want to take a little bit of taxable boot and 
we just had a recent study done and about a third of investors do pull out some cash. They'll actually take out some oh. money. They'll go from one asset, they'll deploy it into a couple more and there'll be 30, 40, 50 grand left over and they take that and make it taxable. So it's not an all or nothing proposition. You can do a partially deferred exchange, get a better return, boost your cash flow, right? Boost your number of assets and even pull some cash out. So that certainly can be done. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. You know, you can, you can pull your cash out after as well. Um, you know, we've had some people who are doing 1031s um, recently too, you know, we're going to go um, either all in cash or they're going to get some kind of a note um, or a combination of those things. And, you know, that's one of the things I think people forget about too, is that you still can utilize the debt piece to get tax-free money, right? So you're doing a tax deferred exchange, but you don't necessarily have to pay tax on the boot if you don't if you don't want to, as long as you're buying properties where you can actually get some some money back out of them. And a lot of the people, Heather, I think a lot of the people who do 1031 exchanges with us, they don't even max that out. Some of them are getting 50% debt, 60% yeah. debt where they have room. If they wanted to, they could just pull some of that boot out post and they wouldn't have to pay tax on it at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, Ron, that you brought up there. I think that's a better strategy than paying taxes would be redeploy all your capital, put it into some replacement properties. Then you come back after you close on your property and you can do a refinance after closing. And by the way, there's no holding period. You don't have to season it for a period of time. So I could close today and I could come back next week and then do my refinance and pull my cash out which you mentioned, Ron, it's tax-free. That's one of the huge benefits of real estate, right? Is you can equity harvest, pull that cash out, right? And you can yeah. use it for redeploying another property or whatever you want. But that's a great strategy brought up. I think that's something a lot of people are not aware of is out there. Yeah. What are some of the other strategies that people listening may have not heard of? Because I only know a handful and I'm sure there's more that I don't know. So <laughs> There are a whole bunch. So the number one strategy is what's called the delayed exchange. That's the one we touched upon. So I sell, I get a qualified intermediary in place prior to closing. The money goes to the qualified intermediary in their own account. Then I've got 45 calendar days. So it ends at midnight of the 45th day to identify. That, by the way, is set in stone. There's no flexibility. There's a little wiggle room if you have, let's say, a presidentially declared disaster area. So we had the recent fire last week in Colorado that was pretty big. Yeah, That was a disaster area. The events that we had with all the tornadoes a few weeks back, another one. But you have to have property or your tax records in an affected county for that to apply. So for the most part, even though there's a little narrow exception, you got that 45-day window then you have 180 days. That's what most people are going to take advantage of. But a neat opportunity, Heather, is bouncing back and forth between, if you look at a home, people have different opportunities available to home. They can have an asset. Let's say I'm in La Jolla, California, and I bought it 20 years ago for 800 grand. Today, it's worth 5 million. I can move out of that property and make it a rental rent it out for a year or two. And when I sell it, I get the section 121 primary residence exclusion because I lived in it two out of five yeah. years. Then I take all my equity from that and I go buy a whole bunch of investment properties. So I really convert the equity in my home into cash flow, right? Investment income. 
and I get the benefit of the primary residence tax exclusion. So I think that's a really interesting way to approach it. And likewise, you can flip it around. I could do a 1031 exchange into a nice golf course property down in Phoenix, intend to rent it out, rent it out for a couple of years, and then change my mind and say, you know, what I like to do is make that a second home mm-hmm. down there in Phoenix because I want to golf. So you can bounce back and forth between it being a residence and being an investment property. You got a lot of flexibility there, a lot of different options. Yeah, yeah um, I love that. Well, I, you know, don't get me too excited about this because there are all these things. One thing, Ron mentioned something really important, which was talking about real estate and real property. So with the tax reform we had with um, Trump administration, they eliminated personal property exchanges. So it's got to be real property or real estate. But when we talk about that, real estate is so broad. There's so many things you can do. We do exchanges of easements. We did a conservation easement up near Boulder for about $8 million. And they went into apartment buildings, you know, that commercial property. You can do agricultural easements. You can do a cell tower, what's known as a perpetual communication easement. So if you have a cell tower on your building or your ranch, you can create a perpetual communication easement, keep keep the property, but do the exchange out of that cell tower or that perpetual easement. Vacation homes qualify. So a lot of people don't know. So if you've got just a second home at Tahoe that you never rent out, that's not going to work. But if I have a vacation home that's held for investment, we got some guidance from the IRS way back in 2008, and it's called the rule of twos. Super easy to remember. You got to hold it for two years, rent it for two weeks in each of those years, and keep your personal use under two weeks. And then after Mm -hmm. two years are up, you can do whatever you want. So you guys see what's happening now in the vacation markets, right? You know, I mean, look, look around. Yeah. yeah, Park City, where you guys are in Utah, Park City, everywhere in Colorado, everywhere around the country. It doesn't matter. Golf course properties. It could be Florida on the coast. You can exchange into this, hold it for a couple of years, follow that revenue procedure, and then make it a legitimate second home. And you've deferred taxes. I think that's kind of a fun lifestyle play for those that have maybe acquired a lot of assets and they maybe aren't looking to maximize their yield, but maybe provide a place for the family to hang out on vacations. Mm-hmm. They can do that yeah. with the 1031. I have a question about that. So if you have a property that you are building, we have a new Florida builder we're working with and you buy the land and you're building the property. Is there any way to structure that so that it's going to take a year long to build it? I'm wanting to build one. So this is maybe a personal example, just maybe. But in six, eight months, I decide to sell one of my rentals and I'm already actively building, but I already bought the land. I'm assuming there's no way to do an exchange on that. What you're talking about, I can't help you out, Heather. I wish I could. Theoretically, of course. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting one you bring up. So let me talk about maybe two aspects. With new construction, particularly now when we have all these supply challenges, People need to be aware you're not going to get any latitude from the IRS if we have a lumber shortage or drywall or whatever it is. So if you're doing new construction and the project gets pushed back because of labor challenges and supply, if you miss your 180 day to buy it, you're going to have to pay all your taxes. So you want to be really careful with new construction. Now, Heather, I probably can give you a way to do this in what's called an improvement or construction exchange. It's not going to work for that exact scenario, but let's say you want to build a home down in Florida. You sell an asset, 
park the money with the qualified intermediary. We buy the dirt and then we oh. build the house for you. So we entered a construction management agreement. It's called a, a parking arrangement and it's a little bit more sophisticated. It's more complex, but we now improve the property for you and give you back your property that you want. But the trick there where it gets a little tricky is you got 180 days to meet your exchange requirements. So it doesn't mean it has to be a completed building. So let's just say you sell an asset for 300,000 and let's say you're building a, a million dollar home. We'll make it really easy. I only have to get 300,000 done to meet your exchange requirement. Mm. Deed it back to you and then you do the remaining 700,000. So that in certain situations, that's called an improvement or construction exchange. That would be a way to do new construction. It works really good when you're going from a small property to a larger property. Hmm. And it would work, it would work really well that. in a normal market too, because yeah. you can build a house in six months. Yes, exactly. In a normal market. Exactly. I would say another pitfall I just thought of as you were talking, one of my favorite scenes in The Office, because I think Ron and I both love The Office. I don't know if you're as familiar, Scott, but- Oh, I am. Scene, I am. <laughs> there's a scene where Michael Scott goes out of his office and he says, I declare bankruptcy. I don't know if you guys remember that, but he just yep. thought if he just shouted it. So I did have a client one time that sold a property and told me he was doing a 1031 exchange. And I said, oh, well, who's your qualified intermediary? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, <laughs> did you, he thought he was doing a 1031 exchange. And this is a very educated person. This wasn't, you know what I mean? And he said, yeah, I'm just doing it. And I said, mm, well, did you get the money from the proceeds of the sale? Did it go into your bank account? Well, yeah. And I said, Sorry, <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's not a 1031 exchange. So that's what it reminded me of is Michael Scott saying, I'm doing it. So it's all I need to do is just declare it. I'm declaring a 1031 exchange, right? So <laughs> you have to sign the paperwork. I know I had to sign a document. I had to designate my property within 45 days, but the funds never came to me personally. They went to the qualified intermediaries account. Right. Right. And you know what, Heather, what you brought up, that happens all the time. We get yeah. it many, many times every single week where people go, oh, I just closed two days ago. I need to set up an exchange. I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't help you because you've got to get it set up prior to closing. And some people go, well, I haven't touched the money. It's sitting at the title company or it's with my closing attorney. <laughs> Same thing, right? <laughs> the Same uh, thing. It's a, we're it's laughing. a phone call. This is not funny. This is not funny yeah. at all. This is very bad. <laughs> Um, not funny. <laughs> it's just funny, I guess, because the ramifications and you know how simple that piece was that they missed. I yeah. mean, it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't no. take a lot of money. No, it's so. no, you're, you're right. You're right. It's pretty straightforward. And, and you, you can't just assume that what makes sense in your head. I mean, tax law, you know, is tax law, right? And you may not even love it, but it's a tool, but you got to jump through the hoops, right? There are all yeah. these and to be honest, that's a benefit of owning real estate. I mean, that's why I love owning real estate. You've got 1031 exchanges. You can do a cost seg then and then front load your depreciation. You've got all these things that will allow you to reduce your taxes. And then when you have a lot of extra money, what do you do? You go out and you buy more real estate. Do it, you do it all yeah. over again, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a wonderful thing. As an asset class, uh, you know, I'm, I uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. I love real estate. And I, I just think it's a much superior asset class because we have tax advantages. Think about what we're talking about with exchanges. Yeah. You can't buy your Apple stock 
at a hundred bucks a share and sell in today's price and defer taxes, but we can with investment property. It gives us as real estate investors a huge advantage to really build a lot more equity and build a lot more cash flow. Yeah. I that's one thing I've known about you from day one is you definitely you understand it. And so when you understand your rates of return, it actually helps you to weather problems with your properties better. You know, you understand the big picture of what you're building and why you're building it. Um, that's something I wish I could just spoon feed to our, our new clients that come in that sit and nitpick over every pro forma and every dollar. And, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, but overall, you know, <laughs> trying to get that vision of what you're looking to accomplish. So, well, so Heather, you know, this has nothing to do with 1031. You know, the solution to the people that nitpick the performer. I'll tell oh. you that, Ron, Ron, you know the answer. It's a super easy buy more real estate. If you scale, <laughs> You can yes. overwhelm you you can you can overwhelm a problem property or one that's not performing perfectly by going out and buying a bunch of other assets to do. And that's the way I look at it. I look yeah, at yeah. a portfolio return. And if I have a property or two that's vacant and going through some issues, I don't really care if I've got the other 95% of the portfolio performing well, because at the end of the day, the larger your portfolio gets, you're gonna have an issue or two here or there. It, it happens. So yeah. my solution is just overwhelm it, right? Go out and buy more assets and buy right, try and buy good assets and try and buy them for cash flow up front, but overwhelm a property where maybe the returns not exactly what you're hoping for. That's yeah. that's the way I do it. One thing that probably we should cover from my last I declare bankruptcy or I declare I did a 1031 exchange. Um what what do what do you why do you need a qualified intermediary and what do you look for in someone that is the qualified intermediary great questions first of all why because you can't sell the property so what a qualified intermediary does and i'll, I'll simplify it in 30 seconds is we as a company we step into the shoes of the seller so there's an assignment of that purchase and sale agreement the contract it gets assigned to the qualified intermediary the qualified intermediary, when you look at the settlement statement, it'll actually have the name of the qualified intermediary on behalf of that seller. So technically, the qualified intermediary sells the relinquished property, holds the money, and then the qualified intermediary goes out and buys the replacement property. So Heather, when you did your exchange, you're not selling, you're okay. assigning, giving the right to the sale to a qualified intermediary. They sell on your behalf. They hold their money, not your money. They're holding it for you, but they're holding their money. Then they're going to step into your purchase contract or an assignment, do the same thing, and then purchase on your behalf. So at the end of the day, they owe you the property or money back, but they're technically selling and buying. You're not doing that. In terms of what to look for, um, there are a lot of great companies out there. You know, almost every state I think has you know great qualified intermediaries, but. Um, one, you know, I'd say people that are reputable are going to belong to the trade association. So it's called the Federation of Exchange Accommodators. So it's 1031.org. And there's a code of ethics. So they are going to hold the money in certain ways. They're going to participate in ongoing education. So, I mean, I'd say that's one indicator. Another one that's super important would be the security of the funds, right? How is your money secured? Where, where are they going to deposit it? What bank? You want to have it in liquid money market type accounts, and you want to go in with a company that's got some really good security mechanisms. The number one thing I think you want to look for is what we call a segregated account. 
So Heather, on your exchange, you don't want your money to go into some big pooled account with all these other people. You want it to go in your own account and then require your authorization along with the qualified intermediary to move the money at any time. So I, I think security of the funds is probably the most important thing to get comfortable with. And there are a lot of excellent companies out there, but that's something you definitely want to explore. Yeah, I, I would um, say too, one thing I've noticed is just being able to bounce questions off of someone and make sure they understand. Uh, that was the big laws. thing I was going to say. Communication, man. <laughs> yeah. if, you can't, if you can't get a hold of them, if there's hold yeah. music and you can't, like, if you can't get through to somebody either via phone or email or somehow, um, that's a great sign that, uh, you, you know, you probably should go somewhere else. I, I just, I think communication, especially nowadays, and especially on something like this work, you really do need so to have times. your questions answered in a timely manner. It's, it's critical. Yeah. I think that, I think those, those things are, um, being able to reach someone. And I know to some, to some degree, if you're putting it off till the 11th hour and it's Christmas day and you're trying to reach someone that's different. Right. But, but, you know, making sure that you have your questions answered to fill out the forms properly and things like that. So it's um, not, that, I, it's not that it's not unreasonable to expect, you know, it's a service, right. And you need a, right. and a specialized service. I mean, I was in Africa this last year and I was helping people out in Africa when I was on a safari, right? Because I had a, a Wi-Fi connection. You, <laughs> you know, you're you're going to expect your qualified intermediary. They're holding a significant sum of money, right? This is your this is your seed capital to really build your retirement and build your long-term financial freedom. You got to have a good relationship where you can get a hold of them when you got a question on a loan or a vesting or a title issue. Um, that's really important. Yeah, I love that. Um, and one other pitfall I thought of, um, I keep thinking of these as we go, is I've had people not clearly label the property address, um, especially like new construction or we've had issues. Um, we had one time where the lots were switched. The, the builder gave the wrong lots to the clients. <laughs> and so and, uh, amazingly, both buyers were willing and we just switched the lots. They were neighboring lots. And so that it could satisfy it, but making sure you have the address, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, boy, you're, you're really fortunate where they switched it. That doesn't happen very often. So uh, you, you, yeah. had to, you had to lie, you had to put up the charm on to get that one done. So good job there. Um, the, the term well, that, It helps when investors understand, right? They're like, oh yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. So, so the term, the technical term in the code is when you identify property, it has to be unambiguous. So the way you can do that is like you said, uh, it could be an assessor's parcel number. It could be a street address, but sometimes people, if they're looking at, let's say a condo development, they're like, Hey, I'm going to pick up a two bedroom, two bath condo. You actually have to identify unit 73 or 271 specific properties. And now here's, here's where it gets interesting. I don't know if you've run into this, but if you had people buy with other people, so let's say, you and Ron were going to be co-owners on an asset. So you own half and he owns half. When you're doing your exchange, you have to identify your interest in the new property, not the whole property. So if you're only going to buy 50% of it, you identify your 50%. Ron identifies for his exchange, his 50%, even though it's part of the same building. Mm -hmm. And the IRS is very specific. They give you a little bit of wiggle room. You get 10% uh, I'm sorry, 25% of wiggle room on that. So if I identify 10% of an asset, I could buy 12.5 mm -hmm. or as little as 7.5. 
But if I identify 10 and I want to buy 40%, I can't do it. So the rules are that, that unambiguous is very, it, it's a simple word, but it kind of has some important ramifications. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I have a final question. Ron, do you have any more? So I don't. Nope. I'm good. Got a short. Um, when do you not do a 1031 exchange? Great question. Uh, number one, you have no gain. So if you don't have any gain, you don't need to do a 1031. I think in the marketplace, that's not going to be very common with where we're at now. With so not much right now, but yeah. Number two, if you have other tax considerations, so if you have suspended carry forward losses that you can use to offset the gain, mm -hmm. you can take advantage of those. So some investors have losses they've been carrying forward year after year. They can sell, offset that taxable boot with those carry forward losses. So look at your specific situation, review it with a CPA. And then I think the third one, that probably won't apply to most people uh, listening to this would be if you decide you don't want to be in real estate anymore, right? You want to get out of real estate and you want to invest in crypto or NFTs or whatever. If you don't want to be in like-kind property, you know, investment property of any type and you want to cash out, then it doesn't make sense to keep exchanging. Now, I don't think that's bright. I think you can change your investment, right? You can go into commercial, let's say, maybe change yeah. the nature of it so it's not management intensive. But those are the three that I can think of right off the bat. No, those are great. Those are great ones. Man, this has been really helpful. I've sorry, I've been doing a little more of the talking because I'm really interested and have, <laughs> no, this is great. have lots of questions. It's been really, really good, actually. And I know there's a lot of people out there. There's probably some who haven't even thought about this. There's a whole host of other ones who've thought about it and haven't done it yet. And then some that are right in the middle of this right now, yeah. getting ready to close on a property. And you probably save some people a boatload of tax money from doing some things wrong. So For sure. we appreciate you sharing your time with us and your expertise, giving us all this really good information. Ah, it's great to be with you. Great to do it. No, there's no reason to pay taxes if you plan yeah. ahead, right? So don't pay taxes. Right. Keep that money redeployed into more and more like-kind properties. So thanks a lot. How do people uh, get in touch? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Great minds. Uh, <laughs> so I'm Scott Saunders at Asset Preservation. The uh, phone number is 800-282-1031. And the website's uh, apiexchange.com. And we got a ton of information on there. So Reach out to a good, there are a lot of good qualified intermediaries. Bring them in kind of as a partner, right? You've got a lender, you're on the product side. Now you got your specialist on the tax yeah. side of the 1031. And we all kind of work together and help put together a deal to make sure we don't really jump into any pitfalls and we get the final product with the returns that the investor wants at the end of the day. Totally agreed. Perfect. Thanks right, for joining us. You can always us. reach us and we can also get can you I, in contact with Scott at... Uh, Info at invest at rpcinvest.com. Well, I screwed it up. <laughs> I don't do that part ever. I should just never, I should just say that and you fill it in, Heather, because I always screw Well, up. I'm just really glad because every once in a while I wonder if this uh, lead in that you just liked me to say it, but I guess it's real. I know. <laughs> it's real. I really don't know what it is, people. It, it's true. I don't, I don't know what our phone number is either. So, <laughs> all right, everybody, yeah, until next thanks, week, guys. get out there and make something happen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Scott. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.